Wine Work and Passion is brought to you by the Napa Valley Wine Academy, America's premier wine school and two-time winner of the WSET Global Wine Educator of the Year Award. You can find a course that's right for you at NapaValleyWineAcademy.com and use the code in our show notes for a special discount. Welcome, wine enthusiasts and job seekers. I'm your host, Karen Wetzel, and Wine Work and Passion is the podcast where we inspire you to make a career out of your passion for wine. When you think of a career in the wine industry, do you find yourself dreaming of what it would be like to live and work in a world-renowned wine region like Burgundy or Tuscany? If so, this episode's for you. My guest, Emily Lester, also known as Paris Wine Girl, will share her wine journey that brought her to France where she has created a world that blends her love of the arts with the world of wine. Stay tuned until the end when Emily generously shares her insights and advice on how you can follow her path abroad and thrive. Hi, Emily. Welcome to Wine Work and Passion. Hi, Karen. Thank you for having me. Thanks for giving me your time today. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Can you tell our audience who you are and what you do in the wine industry? Well, my name is Emily Lester. I guess that's the easy part. <laughs> and then when I dive into what I do in the wine industry, I do a lot of things. But I guess what you could say is at the very base, um, all of it involves some type of creativity. So I do a little bit of wine journalism, marketing and communications, social media, uh, storytelling, and I also teach. Wow. Okay. Well, we're going to unpack all that in just a minute. So just to tell the audience, you know, how you and I know each other and, and why I really wanted, was excited to have you on the show. So Emily and I met through the Napa Valley Wine Academy. We both are contributors um, through various aspects and done various, you know, projects with, with them. And we've worked on a few projects together, got to know each other. And, you know, when I think about what does the audience want to hear about different aspects of the wine industry? It occurred to me that Emily lives this magical life <laughs> that I think most people, when they close their eyes and think about, gosh, what would it be like to work in the wine industry? I think you would conjure up Emily's life. And um, I think you'll find it fascinating to find, to hear her story and her journey and, you know, it'll, it's inspiring to maybe follow in her footsteps or take bits and pieces of her footsteps. And I really feel that you as an audience are going to really enjoy um, all the different things that Emily does and ways that, you know, that you can do some of these things, too. So thanks, Emily, for being willing to share your story with all of us. What was in your glass the last time you were drinking wine? Well, it's um, funny because I'm actually recording this. I do live in France. Um, if your audience doesn't know that, we'll talk about that. But right now, as we're recording this podcast, I'm actually in Washington State, whereas I'm from here originally, and I'm visiting my family. And when I visit Washington State or any other place for that region outside of France, I don't want to drink French wine. Everyone always tries to give me French wine here <laughs> when I'm home in Seattle and have French food, and that's the last thing I want. Um, right. The last thing in my glass was an aged Riesling from the Columbia Valley. Ooh. And 
It was absolutely delicious and wonderful. So I encourage anybody who has access to these wines, which I don't normally, to uh, seek out Riesling from the Columbia Valley because it's pretty exceptional. Yeah, I love Riesling from the Columbia Valley as well. And uh, it's true. When when I travel abroad and they want to give me wine from Napa, it's like, no, I get that every day. I'm good. Like, I really don't want wine from Napa on that day. So, exactly. You know, that's funny. I did a, I did a, I was the guest speaker on a river cruise through uh, up the Rhone several years ago and they wanted to feature Napa Valley wines the whole week. I'm like, really? But everyone enjoyed it, but it was just very interesting. So anyway, that's a funny story. Um, all right. Well now let's, uh, let's unpack Emily Lester. Tell us about, about you, your background, roles you've had, credentials, just tell us who you are. How much? Yeah, how much time do we have? Right. This is <laughs> well, forty um, minutes. <laughs> well, I think probably currently what I'm most known for is a blog that I created called Paris Wine Girl. It's a blog and Instagram account um, where I chronicle my life, my adventures, things that interest me, uh, wines, people I meet, uh, my experiences in that realm on my blog called Paris Wine Girl, and I share that with people. So that's probably what I'm most known for. And then uh, I guess you want to know how I got there or yeah, what, like what's your, what's your background? Did you go to college? You know, you already said you're from Washington. So we know I'm that. So I guess I'm from Washington. I'm originally from Seattle. Um, I grew up in the city of Seattle. So we're a rare breed because most people in Washington and Seattle now are not originally from here. And uh, I went to school here. I went to Catholic school for 12 years, <laughs> not wow. currently practicing Catholic, but um I think I credit a lot of what I do to the education I got, and I'm thankful for that. Um, and I studied anthropology in college. After that, I had a lot of different, I've had a lot of lives, everybody. <laughs> uh, I became a flight attendant and I moved to Alaska. Wow. And I moved to Alaska for two years and I worked as a flight attendant. And pretty quickly um, in my mid 20s, I became obsessed with pole dancing. <laughs> and Ariel, right? I told you there's a lot of twists and turns to this story. I, I did warn the audience that they're going to really enjoy this journey. So, <laughs> um, and whenever I'm really passionate about something, I usually um, 100% in it, right? And I decided to stop flying, and I created a pole dancing studio from scratch. <laughs> and uh, that was my entrepreneurial journey, which set me up for many, many things later. And I owned that I owned two pole dancing studios for um, a two, we had two different studios in one location in Seattle for about eight years and shows and uh, very quickly from pole dancing for a few years, I jumped into the aerial arts and I found my my great love outside of wine. Uh, which is aerial hoop. So I'm a professional aerialist and I competed in aerial and I performed all over the world <laughs> on my hoop. Wow. And, my, and uh, that was, that was a, a big chapter of my life. And that's actually what part of what brought me to France as well. So if you fast forward again with that same theme, when you're really passionate about something, when I am really passionate about something, I go hundred percent in. So uh, after aerial, my my second great love was wine, <laughs> and <laughs> I became uh, obsessed with learning about wine. 
And I think there's, I mean, a variety of reasons for that, and we'll probably go into it more. But for me, wine really encompasses a lot of the things that I feel are my base, my core, my root. And uh, that is studying people, culture, place, and the curiosities that you can ignite and discover about yourself and the rest of the world through wine. And I also feel like wine is an art form and it's a medium in which you can use to uh, discover those things, uh, express yourself. I mean, we can go down all kinds of paths with that. Right. And for me, it was this really beautiful uh, way to to continue to learn and to continue to remain curious and explore. So when I went to Paris for the first time, there were two things I really wanted to do. And that was understand and be involved in the cabaret scene because I was a cabaret aerialist. And the other was to visit wine regions. So without ever <laughs> being in France, I, uh, I think this is 2015 or 16. I went to France with, for the first time and uh, I did that. I discovered uh, the cabaret scene. I made friends, connections through going to shows. And um, at that time, since I was such a heavy, I was training so heavily professionally in aerial, it was difficult for me to go more than a week without being in the air. So while I was in France for those couple of weeks, I rented a studio space in Paris where I could continue to train. And I made pretty good friends with the woman who owned the studio, who's now one of my dearest friends. And I ended up working at that studio later. And then I also went to Burgundy for the first time on that trip, which is where I live now. <laughs> so you kind of kind of go full circle. If I look back on that trip, I think uh, that was where I was really bit by the wine bug, right. where I realized yeah. that uh, there was a lot more to wine than I had originally thought, and I needed to know more. And that was kind of a calling. Yeah, that, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I don't want to interrupt you, but uh, while you're talking, I'm looking at your website. Uh, not your website, your Instagram page. Of course, I follow you, so I look at it all the time. But for the audience, if you want to follow Paris Wine Girl, you will see Emily in her aerial work, and it's it's stunning. I mean, it's so beautiful, so tasteful, so artistic. And then of course, all of your, your wine, your wine features, your wine posts, everything is in there, but I hate to recommend, you know, follow this person or that person because everybody has different tastes, but I will tell you your, your Instagram page is quite inspiring. I know you do all your own photography and all your own artwork and, and all that good stuff, but your aerial work. Wow. I mean, so if you want to visualize what Emily's talking about, this is a great place to go. So sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to bring that up while you were still talking about the aerial work, because it's it's Thank pretty you. remarkable, to be honest. I think aerial like wine was another realm to play. So, you know, unlike some, I think some forms of dance can be regimented. I mean, I studied ballet a little bit, tap, I mean, some of these other more traditional art forms. What I really loved with Ariel was I had um, the freedom to explore. So it can be extremely athletic. It can be um, very much based in dance and movement. You can tell stories, there's narratives. Um, it's really, for me, Ariel is an interdisciplinary art. And I take that same uh, perspective when I think about wine. For me, wine is an interdisciplinary pursuit. And 
I find a, a lot of cross between the two. <laughs> Maybe that's strange. But, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, you mentioned, you know, that there's so many different aspects of wine and, and that's so true. And I, I tell people that all the time, wine is not just about the grapes in the bottle or the juice in the bottle. It's, it's history. It's, biology, it's chemistry, it's nature, it's farming, it's currency, it's war, it, there's, it's religion. There's so many layers to wine that even the most credentialed wine professionals, masters of wine, master sommeliers, they, they'll never know everything. And that's the beauty of studying the topic of wine is there's always something new to learn. And, uh, and you can follow your passion, whether it's the science side or the artistic side, you know, the manufacturing side, all of those things. Um, and I, I think that that's really great for your listeners to hear, like what you're doing with your podcast. It, you know, I hope that my story or the other stories of the guests you have also inspire people because we're all here because we're interested in wine, right? At the end of the day, right. you're listening to this podcast for that reason. And because wine encompasses so many different things. There's a lot of different jobs or avenues or directions that you can take, whatever, wherever your interest is. There's a really a place I feel for everyone in, in the wine industry and in that yeah. pursuit. Yeah. I mean, I've had guys that are into analytics. I've had finance guys on, and then I've had, you know, the more artistic side and lots of winemakers and that type of thing. So yeah, thank <laughs> you for <laughs> Now I can add aerialist to, to my yeah. list. So, so now you're living in Burgundy and you do, so you're not just on Instagram. I brought that up only because that's somewhere they can actually see what you do, but you're so much more than that. You're, you know, that's a part of what you do. Tell us some of the other things that you do, other work that you do and things that you offer um, from your website or what have you. So I have a blog called Paris Wine Girl. And as I mentioned, I chronicle and I write different articles about travel, um, about producers, things that I'm doing. I share I share most things on my blog. Um, but I'll go I'll go back a little bit. Uh, so to kind of I think if I go back chronologically, it might be easier for people to follow the how I got here and what I do kind of story. So I ended up moving to France. I ended up selling my pole dancing studios and everything I own and moving to France to pursue wine and to push myself creatively as an aerialist. So I started teaching aerial and, um, and different types of creative movement and dance in Paris. And at the same time, I pursued my professional work as a sommelier. So I went and got wine credentials and then I started working as a sommelier and when I landed in Paris, I had uh, two, I had, I guess, three things, three skills that I could offer to make money. And that was, I was a native English speaker and I had wine credentials and I was an aerialist. So those are the two things I really did in Paris. And from those, uh, you know, I grew into different roles. I worked as a psalm at Cap de Louvre and at Au Chateau. I offered wine tours and then I taught dance. Well, cue COVID. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! <laughs> when all of when everything changed, right? Um, and really, I'd already kind of started to flirt with the idea of going more deeply into marketing and communications. And COVID just, you know, put the fire under my butt to do that, <laughs> and I was all in. And it actually ended up working out very well. And I started to really focus on my blog and focus on 
storytelling in wine that I had from the creative, my creative background. And I started doing contracts and working with different companies in the wine organization uh, or the wine business organizations to create content, write stories and give them, uh, I guess, live from the vineyard uh, content that was so valuable to wine education during COVID. So that is, you take all of those things and that kind of transforms or makes this montage of what I do now, which is I work with different organizations and businesses to storytell, make a voice and create content, whether that's for photography, pieces of writing, um, or now I use my language skills. I, I can obviously speak some French now. <laughs> I've been in France for five years. Um, to kind of be a liaison between the American audience or American consumers and the producers in France. So um, as, as you know, we've met through Napa Valley Wine Academy and um, they've been a really wonderful partner to work with um, in creating different educational materials for them, for their courses, helping out with social media and strategy. And I also work with a couple of different importers um, businesses to find up and coming producers that will fit well within their portfolio. So that's where I'm at now. <laughs> Again. And and do you so you 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 do work for other companies? Do you do work for yourself as well? So I guess I mean the work for myself, yeah. I work on the blog and my I do a lot of writing work for different clients. So if different clients want articles about wine, they want videos or photos about a specific brand, I do all of that. I do interviews with producers um, that are in French, and then I translate them or create a, a voice or a face for that, that producer in the English language. Gotcha. And so the classes that you teach, are those for other companies? So I teach... I teach, uh, you know, another layer to this is uh, I do teach master classes in Paris with my partner. So I have a French partner and together we've created a series of master classes that we offer in Paris a few times every few months. So I'd say like maybe it's quarterly and it's a series of master classes on topics that we want to dive a little bit more deeply into. So the main one that we're going to be teaching in the next few months is obviously the wines of Burgundy, because we live in Burgundy together, and Cipage Modeste, which is rare and ancient grape varieties in France. That's excellent. Yeah, you have a lot of irons in the fire. And, you know, we're a little bit alike that way. We do a lot of, a lot of stuff. <laughs> um, but I think that's what is cool about the wine industry is you can do that. You don't have to, you know, it's great if you specialize in a particular thing and you work for one company and all that. That's wonderful. And I did that for many, many, many years. Um, but, you know, it's also fun to use the, your creative side and your entrepreneurial side. And wine really lends itself to the entrepreneurial spirit for sure. And you're a really shining example of, uh, of that. So so you've, list, you've mentioned so many things you've done. What, what do you think is the most rewarding thing you've done in, within the world of wine or in combination of wine and something else? What's, what's the most rewarding thing you've done? Um, I mean, I would say probably move, and the most rewarding thing has been the hardest thing. 
And that is moving to another country, hands down. You know, we have an idea of what something might be like in our head. And then the reality is, is starkly different. <laughs> and that has been you know, very, very difficult. There have been very hard times. But at the same time, I have grown so much as a person. And I've had experiences that I never would have been able to have. I also see things so differently. Yeah. And through that experience, it's helped me a lot, not just you know personally, but professionally, just in the base of being more cross-cultural. You know, you live in you know, you live in France, there's the French language, but the French culture, the French business culture, and um, you know, the way that we execute ideas, the applications versus principles, there's a lot to unpack there. And being able to uh, kind of separate and analyze myself and analyze the other people that I work with, both in the US and in France, has been extremely rewarding. And as I think has helped me a lot professionally. Yeah, I, I tell you, moving to another country, especially where there's a language barrier, is not for the faint of heart. It's not like the travel brochures. <laughs> we, we have this idea that it would be, but it's not always like that. You know, it's, it takes guts and tenacity and courage. Um, but like you say, sometimes the hardest things we do end up being the most fulfilling and the most rewarding. So that's pretty cool. And so conversely then, what has been the biggest challenge in your journey? The biggest, I mean, oh, oh gosh, there's so many, Karen. How much time do we have? <laughs> <laughs> um, the biggest challenge, I mean, like everyone, I could say, you know, I could say COVID, but I could also say, you know, learning, being forced to learn another language. And I think the biggest challenge. The, the COVID thing strikes me because that's around the time I met you. Yeah. It was right at the beginning, maybe just before COVID hit. And you had, you know, really started to settle into your life. And all of a sudden, I mean, and people don't realize here in the U.S., we were, you know, quote unquote, locked down, but we were not locked down like you were. Yeah, that, it was that had that I remember you telling me stories about being in your small apartment and literally locked in. <laughs> yeah. Our lockdown was a little bit different. <laughs> and, uh, we had, you know, our first lockdown, we were locked. Um, we were allowed to leave one hour a day, but we had to stay within one kilometer of our residence. Wow. And I lived alone at the time in a little apartment in Paris. And, uh, you know, it's, Little apartments in Paris are great when things are open and you can leave. But, you know, I was there for six weeks and that that experience changed me. You know, I look back and I'm I'm a different person. I see things differently. I think it's so, you know, there's a lot of positive we can bring for that. I really try to look at the positive and it did make it so I had to completely change directions. But during that process, I think I developed a lot of skills that I wouldn't have been able to really uh, maybe spend as much time or hone in on things I wanted to do that did propel me in my career a lot because I did those things. Uh, so yeah, COVID was a huge challenge, but I know I'm not alone in that narrative. So, right. you know, it's part of me that doesn't want to draw on it, but it was, uh, it was, it definitely changed things. Yeah. But to your point, you know, um, a lot of people took that time during various forms of lockdown to, learn something they hadn't learned before to grow their careers or to develop their skills. And, you know, at the, at the, here at the Nap Valley Wine Academy, our online classes just 
skyrocketed. I yeah. mean, it was unbelievable. Everybody was seeming to do kind of what you were doing, turning the negative into a positive and trying to find a way to make, you know, lemonade out of lemons. And, you know, we went from, I think, 20 students a month online to some, you know, in some cases, 300 students a month online. It was just crazy. Um, so I think that that's, I think that just shows, you know, human, human re- resilience. Absolutely. That we're never, you, you can, you can shut us down, but you can't keep us down <laughs> and we're all going to find a way to, to persevere. And, and you did that. And that was, that was really cool to watch. I mean, I got to sort of watch as a fly on the wall through everything you went through. And, and I thought that was pretty. I, think, that was I mean, it speaks, I think it speaks to adaptability too. When I look, 100%. look back at that time too, it's, you know, I had to ask myself questions because at that time I was, um, I was coming off of a very big show, one of the biggest shows of my career, actually. Wow. And it was, we'd done 26 shows and um, we were about to tour and go to Berlin. And, uh, and then all of a sudden it just, it just stopped. Oh. And there was a, you know, a, a lot of questions that I asked myself too, as an, as an artist or and I identify as a creative person was, was it the show itself? Like, was it the spectacle and the energy that I got from an audience? You know, even when you were teaching, like, was that the energy or was it the creative process of putting that together? Like, was it the academic process of studying wine and, um, or, or, creating a piece of choreography was it the end was it the journey and so asking those questions and I I played with different mediums during that time I had you know one hour to uh to go outside and at that time I was I mean I lived in one of the most beautiful parts of Paris but it was completely deserted and I would just go around with my camera and you know do play with video and play with photo and you know have stories in my mind of things and I think because I had some time to play it helped me a lot with my creative work later in Ariel and what I do for my clients in, in creating um, content for them. Right. Right. That's very cool. Very cool. So, so what's the future hold? Em? <laughs> the future. Uh, you know, I really love my creative work in wine. I think that's, I love, um, I love photography. I love writing. I love bringing people together. I love those strategies. So that's, that's going to be, that's what I'm continuing with um, is making connections and I'm taking, you know, taking on new clients who want to do more storytelling and who want to promote the different producers in France for an American audience and do that in a, a way that's curated and, and beautifully displayed. That's a, I, that's, that's my jam. <laughs> that's my jam. That's awesome. That's awesome. So how how can the audience engage with you? How can they follow you, read your blog, hire you, uh, work with you in some capacity? What's the best way to connect? So the best way to connect, um, so two things. If you are interested in reading my blog and learning about this journey and or just having information about travel, the different wine regions, um, my blog is really the best place for that. I do a monthly newsletter too, where I share different articles that I've produced over the last several weeks that month, um, and then give you information about the master classes and the events that I am doing in Paris and in Burgundy. All of that is in my newsletter, and you can subscribe to my newsletter. Um, and that's also directly on my blog. You can follow me on Instagram, as you mentioned. And I share, I share a lot on Instagram. I share my photography on Instagram. It's a nice vessel to, to do that. 
that's the best. And then if you want to work with me again, you can uh, click the little button on my website that says work with Emily. <laughs> and uh, it'll give you a lot of information about about what it is I can do for you. Right. And what's your website again? What's the address? So it's pariswinegirl.fr. FR, like France. France. It's a French website. Yeah. <laughs> and you can also, if you follow Paris Wine Girl on Instagram, you can go to her bio and, or yeah, to her bio and hit the link tree and that'll take you, you can get to her website there as well and, and to all the newsletter and all that other good stuff. Yeah. That's what I do like about Insta is it's instant. <laughs> you can find people easily. Exactly. And I'm on LinkedIn too. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. I think those are my yes, two. Yes, you are. So LinkedIn is a great way, um, a great way to connect, especially if you're um, working on a professional project, or you're looking for guidance or anything like that. I'm always available on LinkedIn. Yeah, that's very cool. And that's under what is that under under Paris Wine Girl or Emily or Emily Lester? Emily Lester. Emily yeah. Lester. You know what? I'll actually put your LinkedIn. I'll put all these links in the show notes and I'll add a LinkedIn to it as well. So, OK, now. What we like to do at this point of our conversation is I'm going to ask you, you know, I know a lot of people are listening going, gosh, you know, they're, they're have stars flying above their head and they're feeling very romantic right now as they should. Um, If somebody wants to sort of follow in your journey or parts of your journey, or they find this all very intriguing and would like to know how they can pursue, you know, kind of a life that you've created for yourself. What are a few key things that someone should do, start doing or do right now that would set themselves up for the ability to maybe follow a similar journey to yours? Well, I think, um, you know, I can, I'm going to be pragmatic about this. And then I'm also going to be a little bit more um, maybe ethereal about it too. <laughs> is, uh, so the first thing I think you have to identify is what you want. And it sounds really, basic. But in the world that we live in, we are full of so many distractions. I want this. I want this. I want that because it's almost, it's always in our face. And I'm a big advocate for taking time away from everything and really figuring what it is, what figuring out what it is that you really love and what you want. And it's very easy then to go in that direction, but you have to have a base. So that is the number one thing I would, and I'd also, in people that are interested in what is it about wine that you love? Like, what is it that keeps you coming back? Is it the people? Is it the tasting? Is it, you know, ask yourself these questions because that's the best way to create a guide for yourself of what your next step should be. Because after that, it's, it's just pragmatic. So then we'll go to that point. If you want to move to another country, get asked this all the time. If you want to move to France, if you want to move to Italy, if you want to move to Spain or, um, any country outside of the United States and you don't speak the language, start trying to speak the language 100%. And uh, even if that's, you know, engaging and, and just having classes for the language, even if it's listening to podcasts, even if it's just immersing yourself in the language as much as you can is something that's really important. And then the, and the next step would be to spend time in that country before you decide to Go, you know, go up and, and move and sell everything. And that's, it may sound difficult, um, but there are always ways to do that. So Rick, actually I'm here, I mentioned I'm here in, in Seattle right now, but I'm on a house swap for a month. So my partner and I are staying in Seattle for a month and there's a woman who is very interested in wine. Um, and she is at our place in Bone the whole month. 
So she found, you know, she negotiated some time with her company to be able to work remotely and kind of worked out meetings ahead of time. And she's spending a whole month in bone. That's, I mean, that's doable, right? It's just putting those, those pieces together and understanding resources. So go spend some time in the place that you're interested in. Yeah. House swaps are great ideas because they don't really cost anything and you're, and you're going to be staying sort of in the heart of of the life. It's not like you're staying in a hotel that's very sterile. You're going to be living that life for however long you're there. So that's a great idea. That's the most important. You know, it's, I see this a lot. You know, you go to Paris and, um, oh, it's, you know, it's Paris, but it's like, really, what is it like to live like a Parisian? (laughs) It's very, very, very different than, um, than anything else. And like, what is it like to live in a small town in Burgundy? You know, it's very different than traveling to Burgundy and being there for a week. Um, you know, what is that like? And, um, I think that that will give you, and, you know, there are, I know people that, you know, live half the year in one country and half the year in the other. And it's just kind of about navigating those pieces one by one. But I do really believe that it starts with knowing where your heart is. Yeah. And taking time. Good, yeah. That's really good advice because we tend to chase stars and it may not be the right star for you. And some, th- some things can't be put back together. So, or, or at least are harder to put back together. So um, yeah, I think I think those are all really really great suggestions, and uh, and I, I might take you up on some of that advice. <laughs> I keep trying to get Bill to do a house to let us do house swap because we've got the time to do it now. Do it. We could house swap with us. I want to go to Napa. Oh well, okay. Now we're now okay. Now we're talking. <laughs> See, I knew something really good was going to come out of this podcast, Emily. <laughs> I like that idea. I'm going to write that down. House swap with M. <laughs> All right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Emily, thank you so much for being such a wonderful, engaging guest and for sharing so much of yourself with our audience. I, I really, really appreciate it very, very much. It's really a pleasure. I really, I love what you're doing with this podcast, Karen. I think it's, oh, it's good advice. You bringing people on. They're interesting. And um, I hope that people just soak all of this up because a lot of this uh, information and the things that you're doing, the guests you're bringing on, the tips and resources, even if they're just little nuggets, um, really are will help help people on their journey into wine. Well, thanks for saying that. Um, and thanks to our audience. You guys are so loyal and so much fun. And you send me lots of nice feedback and I appreciate it. You know, if you're enjoying things, don't be afraid to leave a little review. <laughs> We're happy to have it. Um, you can also connect with me at Napa Valley Wine Gal on Instagram if you have any suggestions for guests that work in the industry. Um, it's not a, this is not a podcast about making wine and, and that type of thing. It's about, it's about working in the industry, but feel free to shoot me a DM on Insta and give me some of your suggestions. I'm happy to take them. So Emily, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your time uh, in Seattle and have a safe trip uh, back to Burgundy. Thank you. It was really, it was really my pleasure and uh, I appreciate it. Mine as well. Thanks to all of you for joining, and I hope today's show has inspired you to make a career out of your passion for wine. If you'd like to have a one-on-one career coaching session with me, just use the link in the show notes for more information or to schedule an appointment. 
This podcast is all about helping you follow your dreams. So feel free to send us your suggestions for guests or topics through our email link that's listed in the show notes. And it means an awful lot when you share us with friends or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll join us again for our next episode.